Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Offset Podcast. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Ben and Dr. Donald from Kinetic Impact about their origins in the health and fitness industry, the roles of chiropractic medicine and sports performance, and much, much more. So, without further ado, let's count it off. One, two, one, two. Hello, Offset Med listeners. We are with Dr. Benjamin DeLuca and Dr. Donald Moll, who are doctors of chiropractic medicine at Kinetic Impact, and also the backstage therapist for the Beyond Babble crew. It's your host, Aaron. Uh, we've got this super, super special episode with you guys. Um, so yeah, if Dr. Donald and Dr. Ben, if you can kick us off on this episode. Yeah. First, I'd like to thank you guys all for tuning in, and I'm losing my voice, so bear with me. I'm not a 75-year-old woman, but I may sound like one today. How's it going, guys? I'm Dr. Donald Mould. Thank you guys for having us. Thank you guys for having us, and thank you guys for listening. Awesome. So if you could give our listeners kind of like a brief introduction about you, I mean, it could be from education, work experience, your personal accolades, whatever you want to throw in there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll get started. Um, so again, Dr. Donald Mole, uh, my education background is uh, University of Laverne. And it, starting in, in high school, I was always interested in sciences. Back then, it was more so chemistry. Uh, I think the major reason is because in those formative years, if you like the teacher that teaches the course, <laughs> you, you yeah. like the the subject. Uh, so chemistry was, I was just really into chemistry uh, in the high school. And um, I decided I got recruited uh, by University of Laverne to play football. Uh, and that's where I went to my, uh, to get my undergrad. And uh, I went in as a chemistry major, soon realized I did not want to be a pharmacist. I <laughs> uh, didn't really want, didn't like the idea of uh, pushing drugs. It wasn't for me. So um, I changed my major into kinesiology and that's what I ended up majoring in was kinesiology. I was always interested in how the body moves and how it interacts. Uh, being an athlete myself, uh, I, it just really interested me and it allowed me to stay into the realm of science. Mm -hmm. um, and then fast forward to my graduation time, I had spent a lot of time with football, dedicated to football and after that road ended, uh, I was kind of like, what am I going to do next? Life kind of did the whole hit you in the face thing. So I switched gears and wanted to be a fireman because really I just wanted to uh, get that locker room mentality back. Mm -hmm. I was missing the game. I was missing being involved in, in uh, a group of a lot of people with that camaraderie aspect. So I went into uh, EMT training. I did EMT um, and quickly realized that wasn't for me mainly because of the the deaths and the tolls that I saw from the family members, right? Mad respect for any of the first responders out there. Just quickly found it wasn't for me and it led me into wanting to prevent people from being on the gurney rather than um, carrying them out on the gurney. So that took me to wanting to be actually a physical therapist at first spoke to one of my former teammates in college and he was actually going through a doctor and chiropractic program and 
he told me to look into it. And the biggest difference for me was the ability to be a primary care physician as a uh, doctor at a chiropractic. Um, for those of you who don't know, typically for to see a PT, you have to get a referral from an orthopedic surgeon or, um, or a physician of some sort. Right. Um, and I like the idea of not having to have that script being written to me. I like the idea of being the first person they come see if they do have back pain, if they do have knee pain. Um, I like, I like that aspect. So I went and got my doctorate in chiropractic and that's where I met this guy. So, yeah. So my story is way different. Yes, it <laughs> um, is. but it's still awesome. So, uh, coming out of high school, I had almost no direction, right? So he didn't want to push drugs. Legally, I didn't want to push drugs illegally, um, but I didn't really have a, a direction that I wanted to go. Um, but I always did like working out and exercise, and I was passionate about it. <laughs> it's kind of a wayward soul. I started working in the fitness industry in the year 2000, so most of you guys were probably barely alive. What were some of the places that you got started with? Oh, man. So I, originally in 2000, I got started at 24-Hour Fitness. Uh, I left there, opened up my own uh, training studio, left there, uh, started just moving up in the fitness industry. I was running uh, gyms. I was like a regional manager by the time I left. Um, I never stopped working with people. So I had, even when I was at a higher level of position in management, I always kept a few clients. Uh, towards the end of my career, there I would end up getting like referrals. I'd get referrals from like orthopedic surgeons. I'd get referrals from different kinds of people and they're like, hey, why don't you take a look and I think you can work with this person. And they would send them over with a diagnosis and a whole bunch of words I didn't understand. And they're like, fix them. And most of the time I, I did pretty good. Like I, I didn't hurt them. <laughs> so that was like the main goal. I didn't make them worse. And, and a lot of times I got better. And then I hit a point where, you know, I'm going to go back to school. I got my bachelor's degree while I was working full time. Uh, that was in business management at the time. And I have a whole laundry list of, you know, acronyms after my name that don't really matter, a million different kinds of certifications. And uh, I was getting this uh, demographic and I was really thinking, if I'm going to work with this population or these people, I need to know more. I need to be more prepared. I need to get more knowledge. And at the same time, I was also tired of, of really working for people, being told what to do, how to do it, I had my own ideas. I'd rather do something and completely fail on my own than do something and fail under guidance I didn't agree with. And chiropractic made a lot of sense to me. I'd worked with a chiropractor personally that helped me get through several different injuries I had. And I finally hit this point where I'm either going to do it now or I'm never going to do it. So I went back to school and got my doctorate when I was 33. It's never too so late. I, so yeah, so <laughs> I graduated at whatever age that is. <laughs> 30, 36, 36. Ah, you might've been 37. Hey, <laughs> take it easy there. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of what brought me to this. And then along the way I met, uh, uh, Dr. Donald in school and we immediately, uh, well, actually he helped me get through the first year. I had no idea how to study, right? Like I'd, I hadn't been in school settings since I was basically in high school. Uh, my bachelor's, I pretty much did all online. So I was sitting down in a class and being told what to do after being like a, uh, a regional manager. I was used to walking into places and people act busy. Uh, <laughs> and no one did that for me anymore. So it was a big culture shock. And I had no idea how to, to study. And <clears throat> this guy really helped me get 
get through those initial processes. But then we started to realize we had this huge passion for the same kind of stuff. We had a huge passion for even like changing what people think of as a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and how we did our care and our approach. And then the rest is history. Yeah. I'm sure it kind of blends right into our next question. You know, what was forming kinetic impact like or what has been that that process been for you? Because you guys serve a very unique population and you have your own unique philosophy on like what is chiropractic medicine, how you, you serve and treat your patients? Yeah, so that's like two questions. So, so the first, like how we formed kinetic impact, uh, we, we knew coming out of school we wanted to work together. But at the same time, we were both getting pulled in different directions. Like Dr. Donald had huge opportunities. He was really sought after. There's a lot of uh, people that wanted to bring him into their fold, that wanted him to go work for them and be an associate. Uh, at the same time, I was looking at different options. And there was a day on the phone, I called him. You know, we had we'd recently graduated. We were both working with different places. And... I described the situation that we could have. I'm like, we can work directly on this weight room floor, which is a very unique environment. And I think we'll be able to crush it. We'll be able to build our business. We'll be able to do whatever we want to do. And he's like, I'm in. And within like two weeks, he moved down from like the LA area to here. Yeah. And we started with two portable tables in the corner of a strength and conditioning facility. And we just built our entire, uh, base organically word of mouth Mm -hmm. yeah it actually started even when we were in school i think the philosophy to touch on the philosophy question i think that's really what um attracted us to each other Uh, we he him having the background of so much personal training and strength coaching and me having the opportunity to work with my strength coach who is a wonderful strength coach um, as, as well as the athletic training staff that we had at University of Laverne is, was top notch for Division III. Um, I think our philosophies were so different in comparison to a lot of what people think of chiropractic and as well as some of the students who are in um, at least our cohort viewed as chiropractic. So we had such a different philosophy in terms of how we can create such um, change with with movement and teaching people how to move and move better and take their health care into their own hands and, and give them the tools to to become better right um, which is different than what you would expect I'm gonna ask you this when you guys hear the term chiropractic what do you think of I feel like in my perspective at least you know the typical like first thought process is like chiropractor I can go for like back pain if I want to go get adjusted, right? Yeah, that's, the adjustment, right? That's that's like a, mm-hmm. the shingle or the, the the tool that they they hang their hat on, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And you you'll s- clearly see that the adjustment can be very powerful, right? It can be a solution at a certain percentage of people, but it's just a small piece of the equation, right? Movement is huge, mm-hmm. and, and then also too, you typically don't want your uh, people to self adjust. So what are you going to do if I can't adjust you? And what are you going to do if the adjustment didn't do anything? That happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, so just how you said, and, and, and you're exposed to a lot of stuff, your viewpoint when you hear the term chiropractor is you, you think about getting your neck or back cracked, right? Like you think mm-hmm. of like a, I supposed to sound like a crack, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you think of. And uh, for us, you know, like if, if you were to watch us work, my goal is that you don't know what I am. Yeah. You're like, is that guy, is that guy 
Is that guy a strength coach? <laughs> wait, wait, is that is that massage therapy? Wait, is he an athletic trainer? Oh no, he's a chiropractor. Someone just something. You don't know. <clears throat> and my experience is uh, when you start learning more and you start finding out like the gurus of your industry, the the gurus of movement. Uh, the title just fades and it just becomes about like knowledge and passion and research. So at that point, that's how we want to practice. So yeah, I'm proud of my education. I'm proud to say I'm a chiropractor, but if you watched me do my thing, you wouldn't fully know. Mm -hmm. I think that's a sign of a, uh, if you are in the movement scene, whether you're a physical therapist or an ATC or even a, a, an orthopedist to an extent, you don't know what they are. Because they're just applying the best practices and the best concepts available. Yeah, I think yeah. I want to piggyback off that because, you know, me being not out of school for that too long and working with a lot of students, they really get tied up on trying to make the right decision or like the right career path. What's gonna what's gonna allow them to to practice the way the way that they want to practice? So I think it's super great that hearing you guys, you have all these credentials that allow you to mm-hmm. do the stuff that you do, but you've moved beyond that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and, and again, to go back to the, the big thing that I, why I wanted to be a doctor of chiropractic, uh, the ability to diagnose my own patients uh, was huge. Mm-hmm. Right? My ability, because I'll give you a classic example. I can't tell you how many people come in with a, what they believe to be a hamstring injury, right? Like a hamstring tear or like their hamstring feels really, really tight. Uh, and they've been getting their hamstring treated for uh, whatever, and it's not getting better. And on further investigation, it's a herniated disc, and that hamstring that they feel is a neural tension or tightness from the sciatic nerve. And it's like, oh, well, let's stop stretching an irritated nerve, and let's start doing this, and then it resolves. And we never once touched the hamstring. Mm-hmm. And you never once had to... Uh adjust that lumbar spine never once and then also too if i was uh in a a traditional paradigm and you send me somebody as a like say a physical therapist or if you're in like the traditional model and you send them over for a hamstring injury i have to treat the hamstring injury because that's what the piece of paper says Mm. and their body's telling me something totally different so i don't want to be handcuffed to that yeah that's awesome guys um so i'm gonna Go ahead and kind of like switch lens a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get involved working with dancers and performing artists? You know, we know that uh, you were able to do some work with uh, Keone Amari's production at Beyond Babel. Uh, so that's like such a unique and crazy experience, which I think that's how we ended up getting connected from, from seeing your exposure with that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the initial part and then I'll let him... Uh... I'll let him talk some. <laughs> He's actually a really smart guy. You guys want to hear what he has to say. But uh, it originally started really organically, right? So Keone and Mari were working with Nia Pham as a strength and conditioning coach. I've known, had a personal relationship for him for years, massive amount of respect for him. And he is a, he blends a lot of different things with what he does, uh, a lot of therapeutic stuff and, and, and really knows how to periodize athletes. And he was working with them, and I, and I contribute a lot of their success physically yes. uh, to what he's done and the principles that he's applied with them. But that's how we met them. They uh, essentially were working with him. We share the same space as him. Uh, he 
we actually work out of his space and he introduced us. Hey, they have this going on. Do you mind taking a look at this? And we said, sure. So we started working with them. Uh, and then we just started working with them individually. And then I remember when they were talking about, uh, the concept, right? Before this was even out, oops, before this was even out, before it was an even show, we started to talk to them a little bit about like, do you think this is something we could bring, you know, more to the dancers? Could we set something up where we could work with like your whole crew when this goes into production? And then that's how that all started. Yeah. Um, like you said, we started working with uh, Nia directly and um, without getting too much into details for HIPAA compliancy mm-hmm. purposes, um, we would notice some some easy biomechanical fixes to some 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 issues that were going on for for a certain amount of time. Right. And whenever you look at an, uh, an active individual, there's some, some very important things you want to look at. Um, in regards to acute versus chronic load, right? Um, so what I mean by that is your your chronic load is essentially your body's capacity to take whatever demand that you're trying to put on it. So that happens over time, hence the chronic part, right? So that's, that happens over months, right? Um, how much load they can take over months at a time versus what they've been doing for maybe weeks or days up to that pain that they've been feeling that's the acute part so that acute to chronic ratio is super important to look at as well as the past injuries um, and the demands that they're going to be placing in the future right Right. so just co-managing with nia uh, through their process and and giving him the tools to work with them to a better capacity as well as get as well as getting hands-on and and treating them that that kind of opened the door and for us to understand and treat uh dancers and understand their demands and 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 understand their 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 workloads yeah and dancers are no different than any other athletes so if you ever Correct. if you ever read any of the uh and this is this is actually one thing that we try to really reinforce with the dancers that we work with is I don't actually even call them dancers. I usually refer to them as dance athletes, mm-hmm. uh, dance athletes. And it's it's really important that they see themselves as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're getting athlete injuries, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting MCL sprains. You're getting shoulder impingements. You're getting torn ligaments. You're getting muscle tears. Sounds like you're getting athletic injuries. So you, you are an athlete. You're, and you're putting yourself under athletic demand. And I think dancers sometimes need to see themselves and be and realize that they need to sit at the same table as a football player. They need to sit at the same table as basketball players. All the other sports that are out there, they have an equal spot at that table because of the demand on their body. Yeah, I think this is exactly you know what dancers in the population really need to hear because they have to change that narrative for themselves right yes it's that you know for for too long you know the culture has always been like you know we're kind of just uh we're just here to do our art form we're just here to to dance but as far as the approach for those that are looking to really increase their performance maybe make a professional career out of it and and i've seen this now with dancers who are basically dancing either in all season long or looking to do more training on top of their dance training 
So I feel like you know when this art style was was first kind of like born and created, it was more of like a freedom of expression, and now、mm-hmm. people are using it as a as a way of life,、uh, monetizing it, turning it into to things that you know our body needs to recover from, just like an athlete does.、Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's like anything else, right? So you just look at the evolution of it, the physicality、mm-hmm. of it.、Uh, We talked earlier, but like a b boy and break dancing, the physicality that's involved in that, combined with、uh, the precision it takes to line up、uh, a gymnastic aerobic, you need muscle strength, power, explosiveness. You need to be able to be、uh, able to stop on a dime, depending on what's going on, and you need to be able to react to the music, the beat, and the crowd. Right, so the. These elements are, are are that's what's unique to dance, but as like anything else progresses, the amount of athleticism starts to substantially increase.、Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's going to up their game, and that's what you see. And that's essentially like what break dance or b boys started off as. Watch this, boom! What do you got? And they come out, and you see something, and you're like, oh, okay, I got to do something better than that. And that、uh, competitive spirit and environment. Continually promotes and perpetuates more and more athletic demand on somebody, and same thing with other forms of dance. But that's just the more extreme form. Yeah, definitely agree. You know, where I want to go into a deep dive real quick. And、uh, is it cool if we kind of share the exercise you took Dylan and I through this morning? Was that trademark secret of? <laughs> no, 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 no. So,、um, let 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 me just kind of explain like a, how that started. So for one. Because dance is such a expressive art form combined with a training form, and a lot of people gravitate towards it. They don't necessarily want to be in a weight room, right? Like they don't enjoy that. It's not like a, it's not their thing. It's not an environment they're comfortable. One, you should get over that because you belong in the weight room. But two, what we did with you guys for me is a way of of combining like some traditional、uh, conditioning components with dance. And were you guys smiling the whole time? Did you guys feel like you were working? It was fun.、Like. Yeah, you guys probably feel like you're working, but you're not like, ah,、oh, I'm working out. Yeah, you know. So like, where the spirit of that came from was trying to go like, well, how do we? I want dancers to like not look at this thing and be like,、oh, this sucks. I have to do this. I want them to look at it and go, oh man, I look forward to doing this, and I can see and feel how this is going to directly correlate into what we're doing. So what we did was,、um, one thing I like to do, and I, I strongly suggest this is not trademark. Uh, but if it is, you know, just you can send a dollar to.、Uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs>、uh, you, you can find an agility ladder; super easy to find. You can find them anywhere on the internet. They're usually like thirty to fifty bucks. But you can take traditional、uh, agility ladder moves. Learn those; they're good to condition with for dancers.、Uh, but you can combine that with like freestyle, or you can combine it with、uh, a dance move, or, or what do you call it? Like a dance.、Uh, It's a dance movement like, phrase. Yeah. yeah, a phrase. So you can take traditional strength and conditioning components and add a, a phrase into them,、uh, and really make it more into what you're doing. And, that, and that's kind of what we did. Why don't you describe how how it was for you? Yeah. So you know, from I'll take it a couple perspectives. One from like you know just the pure I'm a dancer side, and one from kind of、yep. just like analyzing what I got out of it. Because、so、from like the dancer side, you know,、uh, they were having us kind of basically do like quick footwork, which was like okay, like I'd. It's like a nice little agility drill. Get my like calves warm, my body moving,、um, and then Ben started like moving his hands, and I was like, "Oh God!" Like I have to respond, you know. And most from at least the ones who are in, like choreography scene, you know, everything is planned out, right? Like you just like get to know what's coming up next. 
when you add the the reaction and reactivity of it and that's when your mind starts going and we reach that level where it's like it's not challenging because the movement's challenging it's challenging because like i have to actually engage and respond to you you know too many times it's like someone gives you an exercise you just mindlessly go through it um so that was the the fun part of it so i'm like now i have to engage with ben and he's kind of making me move around and then as we go on we kind of go through this progression where it's like okay we started with this simple task and let me just layer on something more let me layer on something more and then we eventually got to the freestyle portion which was super fun because it's like you're you're moving and then you're like dancing and then you're moving yeah and then you're dancing but you're still engaged you know it's the activity part part of it and so from like you know the the movement side of things i'm like this is a really nice way to kind of layer on complexity mm-hmm. and also add that like almost like gamification of yeah. exercise right yeah yeah and i i, I kind of look at it like this because again it is you are an athlete but you're also a performing artist so i grew up playing uh, a lot of my buddies were musicians i'm not and I'm I'm also a, not a dancer. Like I look like a big white silverback gorilla if you were to <laughs> see me in person. Uh, I know you're picturing like a 75-year-old woman with a sultry voice, but that's not what I look like. Um, but <clears throat> my buddies that were musicians, they would make a little bit, they would make a mistake playing guitar, right? They would just be like be playing guitar. They'd make a mistake, but they would never, I never heard the mistake. They're like, oh, I totally messed this one part up. And I'm like, really? And what that made me realize was, it's not about your mistake when you're performing because it happens. It's about your recovery. Like how do you just bounce right back from that? No one knows you made a mistake mm-hmm. or they thought you meant to do it, right? So like that was kind of why I thought this reaction part's super, super important. Don't freeze. Go back to it, mm-hmm. you know? So doing that is really uh, good. And then also too, like you said, you are doing a lot of repetitive, monotonous stuff, right? Like when, you're new, when you are doing your choreograph, it's nice to be able to get back and just be free for a minute, you know, and, and, and have that as part of what you're doing. That's awesome. I know, Donald, do you have anything to add on that? Or? Yeah, and I, and like the movement standpoint, um, it, it's like you touched on, it's a true progression of uh, you have that instance of learning a new movement in terms of the ladders, like figuring out the ladders, like what does this mean? And um, in a sense, that's a bit controlled, right? It's it's predictable. It's it's not as complex as when you start uh, adding a little chaos, right? Which is the reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you to go this way, then that way, yeah. um, and and that's huge in any sport, right? If you if if you look at any sport, um, even if it's choreo- uh, choreograph choreography, it's a hard word to say. <laughs> even if it's choreography, right? Um, if something something happens that you're not prepared for, how are you going to bounce back? That's the gamification that you were talking about, Um, especially when you're coming back from an injury. uh, That can be incredibly amplified um, as the oh crap moment of, man, I just messed up. Am I okay? Am I going to break? You have to be able to get into the sense of challenge mode outside of your comfort zone, um, and you have to introduce chaos if you want to get back to the sport at hand you have to introduce chaos or 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 it's a guessing game and you it's yeah our profession we can't rely on a guess we have to know that this person is ready and with that chaos it it allows us to see how are they going to react in this scenario so to kind of like make this a longer story (laughs) um, 
What you did was actually how we, so we, we were given a task, right? With a Keone and Mari. They said, you guys have, they, there was a lot right. of trust there. Right. And they're like, you need to let us know when dancers can come back and you have, you can pull dancers. So we were always the bad guy, right? Because imagine being part of that production and I tell you like you're out for this length of time. Um, so where, the, where that whole concept came from was I was trying to figure out like how, does, how do I create a return to play for dancers? Mm -hmm. And dancers are like, they want to dance, right? So they'll be like, I'm fine. And I'm like, well, your face is telling me something else. Um, so the reason that I wanted to do that was you guys know choreography. So you got... I don't know your choreography. So I'll be like, show me your, show me a piece and you can show me a piece and you can kind of fudge through it. Um, but with this drill, I get to see how well you're moving. And when I tell you to freestyle, I can see what's happening and how actual ready you are. Because once you're freestyling, you just start moving. And then I could see, are they still injured on that freestyle or are they not? Uh, so it was originally developed for us to figure out a good way to go return to play. Like yep. if they can do this on, with the ladder and they can do this with the dance and they can perform this piece, then we're good. And, and the thing that was really interesting that I think we do, and I don't know if we do it differently, but it was something that we came upon was uh, we're trying to get to make sure that they can perform. Our number one responsibility is that you, the dancers can be there. You know, and if we see an injury where it's like ideally this injury is going to take three weeks to recover from, well, the performance has three weeks left. That's not ideal for anybody. So we would watch the choreography. I'd be like, can you find one specific aspect or one thing within the choreography that's hurting you right now? So I'd go through, you know, 30 minutes sometimes, five minutes sometimes of the choreography. And then boom, we would nail the like one motion or movement that was hurting him. And I'd look at that and I'd go, okay, can you do that like this? And I'd find like a more biomechanically efficient way to try to stay in the spirit of the dance, but uh, decrease pressure or stress on the area that was injured. And probably like at least half the time we were able to find a solution. The other half of the time I would be like, this is biomechanically more efficient. And they'd be like, yeah, it is, but it doesn't look <laughs> right you know so i'm like we'll scratch that that's not good maybe you can still perform we just take this one small yep. piece out of the show where are you in the show sometimes i'd be talking to keone and mari or going okay well where are they at in the show when this is going on are they in the front are they in the back or wh where they need to be in the scene can this come out mm -hmm. and by having that you know open communication with them allowed us to keep people in for a really great length of time because we're just finding the pain generator removing it and then they're able to do because it was only one, it was 1% 1 of what they were doing or 5% of what they were doing that would have made them have to sit for 100% of the show. So if we remove that 5% of pain or problem, they can still get through the other 95% of what they need to be able to do. Show goes on. Did you find that some of them were really fearful about kind of bringing those things up? Like I have to modify, I have to like change this choreography. Like I can't perform at like my full best and I don't want to tell... I guess the directors us. or us or the healthcare <clears throat> providers in fear of being like removed or sat down. Cause that's something uh, I've encountered yeah, as an athletic I, trainer. Go ahead. I, I think that the, in a general sense, like there's always that like fear of telling somebody cause you don't want them to know. But I think that the culture that was created in that scene um, made everybody much more comfortable with telling us what's going on. Um, because they knew, we, they knew we had an open line of communication with Keone and Mari, um, and 
we were going to find out a way for that for what's best for them right maybe it may not be to perform the next day but we're going to find a way what's best to prioritize to get you back as fast as possible for as long as possible and i think that culture set up a a great environment for communication yeah and, and some of it's explaining it to them it's like we all want like instant gratification. We all want to, you know, if I'm like, you're out tomorrow or, or you're going to miss this many performances, <laughs> like your heart's going to sink. You're going to be upset. But I go, hey, here's the deal. You can perform. If you perform the next three days, there's a good chance you're going to be out the next three weeks. If we take these next three days off and focus on this stuff, you're going to be in only gone for three days and you're going to have all the rest of this. Uh, time that you're going to be able to be back out there and perform. Right. And I think you could get them to see that big, small picture. And if you're able to communicate that them, to them in the right way, they would jump on board because they could, they're hurt too, right? You know, when you're hurt, you know, when it's like, I don't, I actually don't know if I can, if I can do that, you know, or, or what is the toll going to be? Mm -hmm. So I think when they would see that perspective, right, it was huge. Yeah. I think it's a, a, um, a combination of understanding both perspectives. Cause in our perspective, it's always about that the athlete as a human, what is in their best interest as a human. And in their, um, perspective, it's, I, I want to perform and I want to do my best. I, I don't want to let the team down. I, um, I want to get out there and I want to show out. Right. Um, and if you can meld those two and understand their side of things and, and word it like Dr. Ben said, in a way that's, uh, very open to them that that is how you break down that barrier and then also when you're assessing them there's certain things that they a lot of times that they can do and they can do really really yeah. well so it's mm -hmm. like all right you know this one thing that we're going to take out this isn't usually usually it wasn't like a a big part of what was going on like it usually wasn't like overly dramatic you know it usually wasn't like the scene hinged on it you know or the a phrase hinged on it so also emphasizing like, hey, on this one part that this is pain free and you're killing it, like kill it right there. You know, so you'd also give them the opportunity to still mm -hmm. like shine, mm -hmm. you know, so as you're taking away stuff, you're emphasizing other things that they're that they can do really, really well. And that can be like a, a hallmark or piece of their performance that they can really, really focus on, you know, and not just worry about this one little thing that, again, it would be like a. Uh, a guitarist like miss strumming one chord but catching up real quick you don't notice it it's not gonna affect the whole performance i mean that's so that hits like home for me because you know in my past experience and working with other dancers too you know maybe it's the types of conversations or thoughts that they get in the head from working with like other people that may not understand what they do and they get so caught up on like what they can't do right not on what they can mm -hmm. and not on what they can so it kind of like disempowers them and makes them really fearful and that just sets up like that uphill battle for them to when they're trying to rehab back to performance you know it's it's that mental component as well as the the physical component that is like preventing them from achieving what they need to sure. do we all need to focus on making our weaknesses stronger but not to the point that your strengths become weaker mm yeah and not to the point to where your weaknesses uh become a detriment from just trying to just nail those weaknesses home right um 
that's when you start getting to that repetitive injury type of stuff. It's like, I just need to nail this down until I'm blue in the face <laughs> or like, until my arm falls off. Like more is always better. And I can, I can say this from school where I was trying to learn something. I'm like, I'll just read this 4,000 times in a row. Where <laughs> I'm just reading words. And then I'm like, I'm actually losing my ability to understand the human language because I'm reading these words so many times, right? <laughs> So I think same thing happens with movement. Like, oh, no, yeah. I'm just going to pound this thing in there. It's going to mm-hmm. get better. And it's just getting worse. You know, so like having the ability to step away from that and go do something else and develop something that makes you better. And then when you go back to that, you'll be better at it. I agree. I agree. So we're going we're gonna to do another deep dive. Oh, one, one last thing before we dive down there. I also have got to say... Uh, it's not just what we do. It's being able to work. Again, Keone and Mari, I cannot yep. uh, express the concern that they have for their dancers and what they want for them to get out of being a part of their crew and them giving us the freedom to do what we need to do and having the strong lines of communication mm-hmm. with us. So it does, you know, the the people that are, chore- you know, doing the choreography, the people that are at the heads of these productions, it needs to start at the top with that culture and, and, and creating that. Because like you said, our dancers fearful. They're not fearful of me. They're fearful of, of that environment. So creating an environment that can take away that fear is extremely important. Right. And I think that is, it, it goes right into the next topic so well, is that, you know, directors, choreographers, uh, and I'm speaking in reference to the collegiate dance scene Mm. is that we really don't understand how to truly build a high performance culture, but we're really good at creating artwork, creating dance pieces and like training other people how to do the dance. But where that kicks us in the butt is, you know, a lot of people are termed with, uh, or know the term hell weeks. Yes. Where it's just like, it just seems like a race to the finish. Yeah, the physical hazing. Pretty yeah. much. Um, and I mean, that's just one thing, you know, and, and that's kind of something I wanted to get your two cents in on how can we continue to bridge this gap between like sports performance and what we're currently seeing in, in this dance community and this dance culture, right? There's a lot of things and areas where we can learn and gain off for well, from athletics. Yeah. The, yeah. the collegiate dance seems actually one of the best opportunities to do this. And I'll let Donald talk a little bit about it. But because the collegiate dancing, you, you know when your performances are coming up, right? So you know like when game day is. And you know when your big performances are. And you know when your small performances are. So you can take the periodization concept, which is simple. It's basically you're training a certain way for a certain length of time. And again, using intensities. Uh, to peak at the right time. So why don't you take that and kind of run with it? It's like a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it honestly starts with the mindset and accepting that as movers, like dancers are athletes. Like the, the physical toll that they place on their bodies is tremendous. And I use the analogy of uh, the different style of dancing is really just different positions in a sport. And you have, you have certain like skill position. Like I'll use football for example, cause that's home base for me. Um, but you have like 
your quarterback isn't going to train the same as your linebacker or your the, the big people on the team, right? Um, just like a, a b-boy won't necessarily train the same as like a contemporary style dancer. Um, but they are all playing the same sport and, and putting their body through tremendous demands, right? And, and that is an athletic environment. Um, to say the very least, the demands that you're putting your body through are are extremely taxing. If you view it that way, then the need and want for recovery and and periodization uh, becomes priority mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. Again, like if you're, we'll go back to the football analogy. If you're playing football, you're not doing your heaviest lifts and your maximal speed training during the season. If you are, stop. Yeah. <laughs> because you will injure yourself. Uh, they're going to have a, a preseason training style. They're going to have a postseason training style. They're going to have an off-season training style, and then they're going to have a during-season strain- training style. And all those things are based off demand, mm-hmm. Right. So if you're going to be, if you realize, let's say you're dancing and you know, you got six weeks before your next performance, man, during that six weeks is when you're going to be able to get into the the weight room. It's where you're going to make your big strength right. gains. It's where you're going to make your power gains mm-hmm. during the season is, is when you're going to be able to, to make like your small finesse, uh, repetitive touches, you know, mm-hmm. during that off seasons, when you can move away from some of that repetitiveness and explore other emotions, yep. because you're going to, it's all going to come back. You're going to, you're going to get it. Also dancers, you, you, you won't forget how to dance if, if you stop doing something for a little bit and start doing something that you're just not, you're, you just won't. What you'll find is as soon as you get back out there within a week, all the rust knocks off and you're moving better than you ever have. Mm-hmm. That's, that's typically what happens. So it's that fear, right? The fear of if I don't dance every single day, as hard as I can, it's going to go away and it's just not, it's in your blood mm-hmm. for either one for you. Is it going to go away? No, I actually took off dance for like two years when I left for Ohio and now I'm back on a dance team. So yeah. it, I mean, the rust is real. Like you have sure. to get over that. I think it's more like self doubt than anything, but then, you know, if you're training consistently, like mm-hmm. I'm still in good shape and I was able to get back into it pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think like what the traditional sports do really well is they separate uh, skills training versus uh, fundamental strength and conditioning training um, really well. Um, and what they do with strength conditioning, they take components of whatever that demand is um, and then they place it on the body in a different way. Right. So you, you are getting better but you're also allowing the body to take a break. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that is something that uh, the dance community can take away from in terms of traditional sports performance, mm-hmm. right? I, I think... said traditional with air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys always mention uh, periodization. Can you kind of elaborate on like what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, periodization, the easiest way to understand that is just think of the term period. Like you're training for a period of time a certain way. So periodization would be training for a period of time a certain way to achieve a goal. For example, let's say I'm an Olympic sprinter, right? And I'm training for the Olympics. Um, you could train in such a way that you peak your fastest speeds prior to the Olympics. 
because of the way that you train, because of the way you train for a period of time, because you trained in a way for a certain period that you uh, peaked early. Does that make sense? Like the uh, like the sprinters that run the fastest times in the world, they don't always run the fastest times in the world. They're not always doing that. Not any given day is that going to happen. That is a culmination of specific training for certain lengths of time leading up to a peak performance in that moment. Right. Th- does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it could be, to go back to the sprinter analogy, there could be a point in time where they run their their goal, their sport is the 100-meter dash. Um, but a certain point of their training, they're only working off the blocks for 20 meters, running running that form off the blocks for 20 meters. right? Um, and then as the season goes on, you progress and, and you start working on more of a complete picture. Yeah. I think the a way st- to put it more physical for our listeners is like, you know, Red Bull BC1 is like a big raking competition, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, I'll just use you, Dylan, for example. Say you're trying to nail your 2000s, which is like you're you're spinning on uh, two hands and trying to get, I mean, you're you're on one hand, your other hand's gripping uh, the other hand, but you're trying to get your rotations in. You may not be able to get six rotations in on every given day, but you can try and create an optimal environment and like program to have you mm-hmm. get your six spins that day that day or that time right. frame or that time right frame. yeah yeah because mm-hmm. if you're just trying to get six spins in every single day you could you know wear out your carpal bones you know you could you can end up with a wrist injury uh, and then you're getting no spins in that day right <laughs> you know because you're doing that so it's like all right what can i do to maintain my wrist mobility maintain the mm-hmm. strength that i'm going to need in my shoulder without going through the higher risk motion which would be the spin right you only have so many spins in you before something breaks down right and i think uh i want to highlight how you broke that down right i think that's what strength conditioning does a very good job of is break down what are the demands that he needs that wrist mobility and extension he needs that shoulder strength how are ways that he can still attain that without putting the mileage on his body Mm mm-hmm I think that's super duper important because we're getting this day and age right now where, you know, we're already talking about you sports specialization in baseball, for example, yeah. right? With, you know, their pitch counts and, you know, trying to track mileage and velocity sure. throws and all that. There needs but, to be spin counts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's the thing, like kick counts, spin counts for, for all these younger kids that are getting into the, the early training styles and, you know, really getting a lot of exposure uh, mm-hmm. from it. And so, yeah, I think instructors, choreographers, directors, they need to be a little bit more responsible and understand, like, the research and evidence out there to really take care of of their their dancer. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a huge space for more research and evidence. I also don't think there's a huge body of work to to support the concept. Uh, But it would make sense, right? It should should carry over. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Awesome. Cool. Man, that was, we went real deep. We went in there. All right. All right. Cool. So uh, just to kind of like reel it back in, um, one of the biggest things that Offset Med is really uh, prioritizing is kind of like bringing education to the community. You know, having firsthand experience, like working with these, what I would call very high level professional dancers, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that 
you know, you may think is like, oh, this is common knowledge, basic stuff, but you're still having to educate them on. And these are supposed to be the ones who are like performing at their best. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with the most basic, basic thing that I see that uh, I see it in a lot of young athletes. Also, one thing I want to emphasize too is like for all you younger athletes and younger dancers and people that are out there listening to this, uh, look for people like Keone and Mari, look for other dancers that have been doing it into their 30s, 40s and beyond and see what they do. What are their secrets? Because they have the longevity. How are you able to in your 30s and 40s still show out at a high level, right? How, how, how can you extend your career? And you're going to find that a lot of these guys have adopted those principles in there. Um, now, now back to that simplest thing, drink water. Drink water. I can't tell you how much I'll, I'll see someone get lightheaded, pass out, uh, strain a muscle. And I'm like, how much water have you had? They're like, oh, man, I had four cups of coffee this morning. I was like, right on. That's no water. <laughs> it's a diuretic. <laughs> We're in a bad, a bad place. So simply like make sure your water consumption's good. I know that sounds basic, but I would say like that's one of that's a rookie move. Yeah. It's a rookie I, move. You don't want to be in an audition and, and things go sideways because you didn't have a, you know, couple of glasses of water that morning yeah i would say it's it's kind of all ends of the natural recovery process i see the lack in um one hydration two is huge is sleep sleep is is something for some reason in the in the dancers that we've worked with is is a is a rough one. Yeah, they'll laugh at your face. They'll be like, "Sleep." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and I, I mean, and I, I understand too. Like, dance some of the dance culture, right? Like, you're gonna go out to a club and do sure. your, and do your thing, right? I get it, but at the same time, like, throw a little more water in there, or or nurse a drink longer if you're gonna be doing it a lot because it's not like. Oh, I was gonna use me as an analogy if I go out and dance. Oh my god, I'm not neither an artist or a performer. <laughs> but he's an artist with this agility ladder. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's, it's bad. But like, you know, if, if you're out there, if you're a, a dance athlete and you're out there and you're at a club and you're, and you're getting after it and you're doing your thing in that environment, for you, it's, it's practice, right? It's, it's a place where you're practicing your skill set. It's not always a place that you need to be partying, right? Like every night, just because you're in a party environment. For the people around you that aren't dance athletes, for them, it's a party environment. But for you, look at that as an opportunity yeah. to get better at your craft, to get better at your skill. You don't need to be there to drink. You need to be there to do what you do. Yeah, it's, it's like that mentality that we talked about earlier, that yeah. mindset, that athlete men mindset. So, so it's it's taking care of your body from that standpoint, right? Because that's a part of the culture. So so it's okay. I'm not saying don't don't have a good time. But just you're in an environment where it could be easy to have too many good times in a row and it could it could hinder things. And yeah, then, sleep, is, sleep is vital to to any type of performance, whether it's mental or physical, it's, it's the way that your body legitimately recovers and restores the hormone levels. Yeah. But I think what you're really wanting to know is there like some, some really cool exercises that you should be doing that are just going to like blow your game up and, and make you awesome. Right. Like that's what you're looking for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, it. <clears throat> yeah. I can't, I can't, you know, core strength, Right, like you need to make sure you have really, really good core strength, uh, uh, hip control. Doing exercises to focus on like hip stability, hip control, ankle mobility. I cannot tell you how important ankle mobility is for a dancer. Uh, ankle mobility. 
um, those areas are, are huge, you know, and then any of any B-boys or, or guys that break out there, um, you know, a lot of times you can look at, look at your bodies. You'll notice that like one side of your back is super yoked and the other side's not right. It's like, that's an imbalance. That's a healthy imbalance for a B-boy. And you see that same kind of thing with a golfer. Like you're going to have one side of their body, uh, more hypertrophied or bigger. It's a normal response to an abnormal stimulus right? Like we're not walking around on our hands, especially on one side. The reason you get that uh, development is because we all favor one side, right? So if you're really good at spinning with that right hand down, that left hand's never coming down. I challenge you to become more ambidextrous, balance some of those things out. Um, If you're feeling pain in one direction with a move, simply try doing that similar move or motion in the opposite direction. And sometimes that'll take away the pain. Awesome dropping pearls of wisdom yeah right so what are some of the i guess like future directions and plans for connect impact for the dynamic duo we have here yeah oh so there's 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 quite a bit of uh processes going on right now um first and foremost we want to grow our business uh, our brick and mortar business and and be able to help more people in our community and and hopefully be able to to add on another doc to the equation um, as well as be a bigger online presence and for those who can't maybe can't afford what we're doing or aren't in our area um, provide some solutions that they can have via online maybe online courses or or ebooks that that can help them with their pain solutions um, and then I know we talked about getting into the, the corporate world as well. Yeah, I mean, it all it all kinds of dives into what an area that I would I would really like to be more involved with would, would be education, right? So yeah. whether it be online courses or workshops, I would love to be able to get with some leaders of the dance community, sit down with them, yep. and discuss a, a workshop platform that's not solely based on dance skills. That, that's also going to bring in some of these other things. So initially, we could do something like that for providers, right? Like other people that are interested in this. We could also do it for people that are dancers. Uh, yep. Like we, we had an intern that interned with us that was also part of the uh, Babel crew. And I'm going to violate HIPAA and give it up to KJ. <laughs> yeah. That guy was awesome. <laughs> part of the reason we were successful is we basically created a little drone of ourselves a guy that was super interested, wanted to do this for a living, became passionate. So he would he would be our eyes and ears when we weren't around. So he would be snitching on them, sending us texts, letting us know who's doing what, if they're doing it, so we could follow up the right way. Um, <clears throat> but really, like, again, if anyone's listening that wants to get together and brainstorm, find us, yeah, get a please. hold of us. Let's see how we can make this community better and, and longer. I don't see why any dancer couldn't dance into their 40s. Right. And, you know, they are some of the most, like, genuine people that, you know, we've ever met. And they've welcomed us into their facility. Um, we're out here yeah. at, is it Optimum Training? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Optimum Training and Performance. <clears throat> Optimum mm-hmm. Training Performance out here in San Diego. It's it's quite the sight. Like, we're sitting up at this, like, nice cush conference room <laughs> overlooking some a volleyball tournament going on right now. There's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu man. And a full-fledged strength and conditioning facility and they've got their own little niche corner 
um, where some magic happens, right? Yeah. Um, so I really do encourage uh, anyone listening to this, like, please get connected with us and let's really like kind of push something new, something innovative mm-hmm. forward for for our communities, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want to collaborate with Ooh. the dance community and find solutions to help the dance community grow and in terms of the the performance side of things and in terms of getting people to to dance for a longer time you know and be healthy and the the beautiful thing about it is for us you know like the reason i love to work dancers are probably one of my favorite population of athlete if not my favorite population of athlete to work with and it's really because it's a creative process that i get to work with them like they you got to remember the way you hit a baseball hasn't changed that that much since baseball first invented but every single day there's a dancer creating a new piece of choreography every single day they're moving their body in a different way or different fashion so it's so dynamic it grows in so many different aspects that working with dancers is what allows us to create things that make things better for dancers just give me goosebumps yeah it's it's interesting a lot of the stuff that we've created is usually where and again, the dancer doesn't always know why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm having them go through different things. And I'm finding out by watching them move or asking them questions or having them do stuff, what I then will need to take and build on and make something for them. We need better, starting at the high school level, we need more exposure. Like we need more stuff for them. They need places that they can go and train. There's youth, everything. There needs to be youth Uh, conditioning programs for that and i don't know if it's like maybe we create a program that is introduced to dance studios themselves and the dance studios start introducing it i'm not really sure the the best way to do this but let's figure it out yeah let's figure it out it's it's really just creating a ripple effect that hopefully turns into a big tsunami wave of of education and information um that allows dancers to to have the the spotlight they deserve yeah i look at like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all these guys that were able to still peak way into their 30s. There's no reason that dancers shouldn't be peaking in their 30s, mm-hmm. that they're all peaking, you know, 21, 22, 23. You're 27 years old and you got, you know, your old dancer, right? Like, what is that? No way. Yeah. It's because uh, there's not things to support this yeah. that you're trying to do. So let's get that out there. That's right. Imagine like if every dancer that stopped at 23 because they hit their prime continued to progress that art form. And their ability for another 10 years, we'd be seeing stuff that is unheard of. That's and that's true. and you are seeing that with the older dancers. You do see that, but we need more of that. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh if you're cool with it, we're just gonna do a quick rapid fire round. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Here we go. Um so what are one of your guys' pet peeves when working with a patient? Go for it. So my biggest pet peeve is uh, your inability or my inability to communicate with you. So I I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience where you're trying to figure out what's going on with the person and they're just not giving you any kind of answer. Uh, They're giving you very vague. Like, I don't care if you explain something to me and like with smiley faces, colors, number scales, whatever, describing it in some weird way. I mean, I've heard stuff described in ways that are very unique to that person's experience but it's something when you just give me vague information that is so hard to work with 
again, you don't need to, I understand like pain. I've been in pain. I have a hard time describing it, but I can create a scenario where I can share that. So not being able to get feedback is my biggest, biggest pet peeve. What's your second biggest pet peeve? Uh, yeah, you took mine, but <laughs> I'm just going to piggyback off that. So when somebody says, sorry for giving me information, like, I'm sorry, does that, that doesn't give you information, does it? I'm like, no, you're good. You keep giving me more. Less keep sorry, more. more of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, of course, uh, do the shit I give you to do, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm the same. All right, that's awesome. That sucks. So, uh, how have you been doing with these exercises? Oh, I've been doing them every day. Oh, cool. Let's let's take a look at them. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> you put them to the test. Put Liar. The I can tell yeah. you haven't been doing them. This is the first time doing them since you saw me. Do the stuff that you give. Trust the process. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, leads into the next one. Favorite exercise or movement? Uh, the deadlift. The, the deadlift. deadlift. Yes. Um, <clears throat> mainly because it's the functional aspect of it. Everybody needs to be able to hip hinge. Um, and, and a lot of people are afraid of that, that movement. Um, but if you can get somebody to do it correctly and feel the power and the strength of that movement, it's incredibly empower and powerful for that person in front of you. Um, and in my personal bias, I just like to lift heavy things cause I like that testosterone boost and they call me a meathead. I don't care, <laughs> but the deadlift. Very cool. Yeah. The deadlift's cool. But uh, <clears throat> squat, I mean, I'd have to go with the squat because uh, he took deadlift first. But so, I mean, push-pull, some sort of push-up, some sort of pulling exercise, some sort of squat, some sort of deadlift, and a lunge. If you had those five things, you'll be able to train your body for a while really, really well. And if you could take those five things and create variations off them, you're gold. They said one exercise. <laughs> And was like, I can't do one. You yeah, can't hold me down. Do like, Squat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe, let's see. What is, uh, or who is an athlete that you really love to work with? Or maybe you've already worked with, like, your favorite athlete. So I'm going to go with just, like, a, a personal favorite of mine. Um, again, football background. But Julian Edelman, he's a, mm. he's a football player. I wore number 11. He wears number 11. I identify with him quite a bit because I'm a smaller individual that played a bigger man sport. Uh, and he's a smaller dude that does incredible things against people twice his size. Uh, and I also follow him on social media and he's hilarious. So he'd probably be funny to be around. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with uh, Isaiah Thomas. He's a basketball player. For, for those of you guys that don't know who Isaiah Thomas is, the new Isaiah Thomas, he uh, sustained serious injury after having a crazy uh, season with the Celtics. He got traded. Um, hindsight, like I see, I watched, I love that guy. He's a great personality. Little guy, five foot nine, probably the shortest guy in the league. Maybe. Fact check that. He's up there for being short. Um, but I truly feel like he got uh, possibly brought back early. And I don't think like what they did with him was wrong at the time. Just hindsight, you know, seeing what happened. I would have loved the opportunity to work with that guy and uh, been able to control when he would be able to come back. And I think we could have seen a, a different scenario for him. Sick. All right. We're going to go a little bit more on the artsy round. Uh, what is like your go-to outfit or maybe just like a favorite outfit? So if we're going to yeah. do this, I think that he needs to say what he thinks my favorite outfit would be. Yep. 
So we were looking at this earlier and, and I came up with the idea of, of, of switching this because it's way more funny this oh, way. Oh, all right. Let's see. <laughs> so I get to say what I think his, what I know his favorite outfit is and vice versa. Okay. It, we also spent too much time together if you, if you, didn't, <laughs> if you didn't realize. But I'm going to go workout gear and the workout gear is very specific. Under Armour brand. Mm. Um sleeveless sleeveless under armor shirt with a hood on it oh he's got that like kind of oh yeah assassin creed exactly he goes full assassin creed and and the reason being is so he's a bald-headed individual yeah and he Ball says it challenge <laughs> yeah. he says it's because the sweat is blocked from his face because of the hood i just think it look it's because he looks like assassin creed but like <clears throat> You guys realize, like, you don't got a lot of options when you got no hair, so, <laughs> right? Like, I, my hair always is the same, not there. Uh, second, like, I look super stupid with one of those, like, headbands like the head on. Sweat oh, thing. those are so bad for me, <laughs> right? Like, I don't have that kind of swag where I can walk around with that. So I'm going to go with Donald, like, when he thinks he's just rocking style. He's going to be wearing, like, a 1994 son's vintage uh sweatshirt it's a crew it's a crew cut crew yeah, cut yeah. sweatshirt old school it's got like the the sun i'm a sun's fan it's got like the big bright bold in your face like basketball on fire for their logo wow yeah he, are you gonna, a california native or like you repping like a lot of different yeah, areas yeah, so yeah. i'm all over the place it's, it's, got, was, it's got a mustard stain on the shoulder <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna rock that with like some skinny jeans. <laughs> yes. No, I was I was born in California, moved to Arizona, moved to Maine, moved back to Arizona. Oh yeah, so, so you've been around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? Oh man, I grew up here. Okay, I got San, roots. San Diego. San, San Diego. Diego. I mean, I don't know why you'd ever want to leave. I went to Mount Carmel. Sun Devils. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. Yo. Most practical utilized item that you've bought under a hundred dollars i would say a cupping set so it's a silicone cupping set um it's really cheap probably 26 bucks i think with tax and it's like 30 bucks but for the use and practicality it we use every single day uh, just to decompress any tissues that we need to decompress uh that is by far the the best thing I've, i have we yeah. have for under 100 bucks i would just like to add to like uh with the cups uh, we do a technique that's much different than like a traditional cupping technique where you would like leave it on your body They're and like just let passive. it sit yeah yeah uh, it's more so like with with motion so you have lotion on the skin and you're able to slide the the cup it puts the lotion on the skin uh, and as you're doing motion, you can move the cup. So you're decompressing all the tissues. So for example, if you think you may be dealing with some nerve issues, uh, like a peripheral like neuropathy, a peripheral neuropathy. Mm -hmm. superficial peripheral neuropathy, mm -hmm. you can, term. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can essentially lift the skin off of that nerve because nerves do not like to be compressed or stretched. So you can use motion and decompression of the skin over that area. And it's a, it, the feedback is phenomenally quick. If it, yeah. So a lot of times you'll get not a lot of times, but sometimes you'll find like a, a superficial nerve, right? A nerve that's like in the skin or in that area. 
uh, can mimic other pathologies and simply yeah. by like stimulating that area with like a cup and some motion, uh, you can get a decrease in uh, sensation. And sometimes you can get a complete relief just right. depending on what's going on. So when it works, it's like magic. When it doesn't work, whatever. It doesn't work. Go do something else. But um, I would have to say my hands it cost nothing. It's been with him for life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. You guys have probably read like um, like Diane Jacobs, uh, like dermal neuromodulation yeah. work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's part of our curriculum. There you go. There you go. Uh, so it's like another plug for chiropractors. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Last question or almost last question. Uh, do you have any book recommendations? Maybe something you're reading now, something that's really impacted your kind of like live personal or professional go he, he reads way more than i do uh so i'm gonna go more so on the personal side um in terms of i guess you would categorize it as a f- uh, philosophy book uh but it's the daily stoic so essentially it's just daily excerpts that you read it has a quote from somebody that studied stoicism many many years ago and then it also has a breakdown of that quote and it just has essentially just daily reminders of how to be a better person right or how to take yourself away from emotion because the study of stoicism is taking yourself away from emotion and looking at everything incredibly objective so you could have a bad day and you 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 go to this book and you you kind of understand okay it not everything needs to be so emotional and it it's a great book it's uh by ryan holiday and ryan another holiday. person i don't remember his name i'm sorry that's all right <laughs> <clears throat> yep i just asked him what he read that day <laughs> no I, I i'm not gonna give you guys a, a book that's gonna change you so he went down that route i'm gonna go over if you're if you're a clinician or you're looking to uh get into this field of working with people there's two concepts I think you one major major concept I think that you're incomplete if you don't understand and it is neurodynamics the concept is called neurodynamics uh Michael Shacklock right Michael Shacklock the man yeah yeah I love that guy and then another uh gentleman who's got a huge body of work he just recently uh he started schools over in China is a Guido Van Reisigen. Guido Van Reisigen, he's amazing. He's just a walking clinical pearl. Like he just spits information and knowledge. So you could, uh, you know, just straight throw a Google search and bolt those guys. And then from there, dive down whatever rabbit hole of information they have that that makes sense for you. Sick. Man, it's so much good information and like wisdom that you guys have like been able to bring onto this podcast. So you know, Dylan and I, Dylan and I are super thankful, um, and I'm sure our audience is extremely thankful and have gained so much more wisdom after listening to you, to this. So, how how can they connect with you? That's a great question, <laughs> Donald. I got you. <laughs> so you can go to our website at www.kirehab.com, and all of our social handles like Facebook and Instagram are at Kinetic Impact RP. So at Kinetic Impact RP. You can also call us at 619. <laughs> Just put them on the spot. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I don't know if I want to divulge this information. Am I giving away my personal cell phone number? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. He, so our, our he's number gonna is... He's going to give away my personal <laughs> Yeah, I was, in that case. I mean, um, Ben is a hard guy to, to contact. You know, we, we try to do our research and Google search, you guys. Oh, man. And I have... I, for those of you listening, that's probably how you're going to hear me. I have no social media. <clears throat> um, it's just a personal thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm old school, which is bad, but good in some ways. Just for my own sanity... I prefer to like sit down, talk to people. I'll, I'll Skype. I don't mind that kind of stuff. But as far as like, man, I, I just get lost. You know, the next, you have. I'll be watching people doing goat yoga if I get into social media within like thirty <laughs> seconds, and then from there, I cannot even tell you the downhill spiral of things I get into. So it's best for me to 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 not have that. So if you want to get a hold of us, six one nine six nine five zero six eight eight. Yep, you can just give us a call um, or email. And that's info at kirehab.com. Sweet. And we'll link all those stuff in our show notes. Perfect. Um, and they've also got a really dope uh, blog article, uh, Dancers Are Athletes. And we'll also link that up in there as well. Yeah. Perfect. Check Perfect. it out. Yeah. For all the all you guys who are listening, um, that is a, a great blog for you guys to check out. And, and you'll be able to reach out to us. And again, reach out to us about... Um, getting together and masterminding some ideas and yep. let's let's collaborate yeah for those of you that are listening for those of you that you know are powerful in the dance community please contact us get a hold of us and let's see how we can make this a better uh place and for dancers everywhere how can we keep you guys doing this just longer and thank you so much for having us thank on you so much for having us on. yeah of course of course until next time everyone uh, continue to follow us on our Instagram page at offset.med, and we will see you soon. So, since y'all made it this far, we want to say thank you for listening to the Offset Podcast. We're constantly striving to connect and have conversations with guests who can bring something unique to the table, whether they're involved in the field of physical health, performing arts, or maybe even both. If you guys have any recommendations for who we should bring on to future podcasts, Feel free to let us know via our social media at offset.med or email us at offsetmed at gmail.com. Remember, we're on all major podcast listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Castbox, just to list a few. Again, we want to say thank you and hope to see y'all in the next episode.